Radio. If I touch my shoulder, it would touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what the hell is that? Mommy, Spirits and more radio starts now. On this episode of Spirits and More Radio, Dave from Louisiana shares with us a story about a not-so-nice family member whose ghost haunted a home well after they had departed. Sit back and enjoy this episode with the lights off. Hi, my name's Dave. I was born in Louisiana near a town by the name of Lafayette. It's where Cajuns are from. My grand-uncle was a barber. He built the home that he and my grand-aunt lived in. It was mostly made of wood, mostly cypress. They did not have a good relationship. They never had children. And my grand-uncle was not a nice person. For about half of their married life, he had a mistress. And my grand-aunt knew this. And she hated him for it. She was also a very religious woman. She's Catholic. And she and my grandmother were members of the St. Anne Society were a group of women that met on a regular basis and engaged in quite a bit of prayer. Everyone in our family knew that my granduncle had this mistress. Everyone was upset with him, but no one did anything about it. Their home had two bedrooms. The front bedroom was the visitor's bedroom. The back bedroom was their bedroom. Between the two bedrooms was a bathroom. (laughs) Connecting the two bedrooms was a hallway. Within the hallway, there was a small nook, or you could say a closet area, that opened up into the living room. All the floors were oak. All the walls were oak. And as I mentioned earlier, the uh, closets were lined with cypress. The, um, the front bedroom was for visitors, and the back bedroom was, was their bedroom. And it was common knowledge that my grand, grand uncle would bring his mistress to the front bedroom. And apparently it was not uncommon for the two of them to have dalliances while my grand aunt was in the house. And she knew it was going on, and this just made her more and more angry. When my, my grand uncle died, pre, predeceased my grand aunt by, my guess is around five or six years, 
when he died, we found out that in his will, he had left half of the estate to the mistress, which made my grand aunt, of course, even more upset about the circumstance. Although the mistress never got any of the property ultimately, it was obviously a, a smack in my grandma aunt's face. When my grand aunt died, she died living in that same house. My grand aunt, I'm sorry, my grand, sorry, backtrack a little bit. My grand uncle died. My grand aunt went to go live with my grandmother because she didn't want to live alone in the house. My father was sent to their house to get my grand aunt's clothing and those types of things, personal items, that type of stuff. My father maintains that when he went into that house, which was empty, and, oh, and I forgot to tell you, my grand uncle and my father never got along. My father would tell him what a terrible person he was at every chance he got. The only, I only met my grand uncle a couple times, and each time I spent time with my grand uncle, he was constantly talking about what a not, what a, not a nice person my father was. So there was a lot of animosity between those sides of the family. Getting back to the, the night that my grand uncle, my grand uncle died during the day. My grand aunt didn't want to spend any more time in the house. So she went to my grandmother's house. My father goes to pick up her things. And so my, my father's alone in the evening in this house. My father maintains that as he opened up the drawers to go get personal belongings of my grand aunt, he could feel a presence. All of a sudden it was icy cold in the room. And then doors started slamming on their own. As he turned, he saw the vision of my grand uncle coming at him, like running at him. My, my father got upset grabbed what he could, ran for the front door, and left. Um, my father, to my knowledge, I don't remember him ever stepping foot in that house again. And I lived there for over a year. But I don't remember him ever visiting us. It, that's an, another part of the story. So anyway, so um, my father refused to go back to the house after that. And other people had to go get the rest of the belongings out of the house. And my grand aunt died a relatively short period after that, maybe five or six months later. When my grand aunt died, um, at that time I was living in the area and uh, I needed a place to stay. So my grandmother had inherited the house because she was the only living relative. Mary Alice? No, 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 my dad's side of the family. Oh, okay. And sorry, this is paternal side of the family. Um, so my dad said, well, hey, why don't you go live in the, the house there? It's out in the middle. It's out in the country, sort of. When I say country, it's, um, it's a small little town, um, maybe population of 100 people. Um, but the homes were maybe on maybe an acre of land at the most. 
Um, so they were relatively close to each other. It wasn't like you had uh, sharing a wall or any garbage like that. You had a relatively large yard and backyard and thing, but they were a neighborhood. There wasn't, you know, like it wasn't like there were giant farms out in the middle of nowhere. People lived n near you on your street. So anyway, so I lived in the house, um, like I said, about a year and a half or so. Um, I, one of my fraternity brothers came to go live with me. Um, I lived in the front room, which would have been the guest room, and he lived in the back bedroom. And we lived on the same, we lived in the same, slept in the same beds, slept in the same sheets, same bed coverings. We didn't change anything. There was nothing to change. We walked in there, it was a ready-to-go ready house. One thing was a bit bizarre though. This bathroom that split the two bedrooms. As you walked in, there was a shower, bathtub shower to the right, you know, bathtub shower to the right, and there was a closet to the left, and then further on, it was kind of a narrow bathroom, and to the left was where the toilet was. Above the toilet, was a small, what would have been what we call a medicine cabinet. Basically the same size. When I moved in there, I opened up the medicine cabinet and there was a statue of the Virgin Mary. And quite a bit, a bit of burnt incense. As if someone had been sitting there praying. Now, my father maintains that my grand aunt, whenever my grand uncle would have his dalliances in the front bedroom, because that, that basically, that, that toilet area shrine little thing would have faced to the bedroom where they would have been having their dalliance. My father maintains that every time that happened, my grand aunt would go in there and curse him. So, the fact that, th that this ghost would, or this vision or whatever would follow my father was not a surprise to my dad at all. He came back to, apparently to the house and he was like, well, I got chased by Red in the house and that's just the way it is. He was very comfortable with the whole thing. He didn't think it was anything bizarre per se. I guess, you know, other than he made mention of it. So obviously it was bizarre to him, but you know, in other words, it wasn't such a crazy thing to think that this man had been cursed to that house because that would be something that we would all have expected. Um, so when I was living there, um, there were a couple times, you, you know Chris, right? Chris Rogers. Um, there were a couple times we were, the, better to explain the layout of the, the home. Um, Red was a barber, I told you that earlier. And he had his shop at the house. And what they had done was, after he'd built the house, he built a patio, an enclosed patio area that, between the home and the, the garage, which was relatively large, maybe about 20, 25 feet square each way. So, relatively large patio area, and he had his barbershop in there. But he had put the barbershop on after he had built the house. So there was a doorbell going into the main part of the house that was technically in the patio area. 
so you could be in the patio area and push this doorbell. There was a different doorbell going into the patio area, and there was another different doorbell at the front door. They all had distinctly different sounds. There were a number of times when Chris and I were in the house, in the living room, watching TV, and the doorbell for the inside patio rang, yet we were the only people in the house. There was no one else there to push that doorbell, yet it rang. There were a number of times that we would, the, the patio area opened up into the kitchen, the kitchen then opened up into the back bedroom, and to the left would have been the living room. Um, there were a number of times when we were sitting, eating breakfast, and we would look at, we would both get this cold chill, is the best way I can describe it. Just as if something, the temperature had dropped by 30 degrees. Not, not something light, it, had, it was drastic. And you could feel a little breeze off of the back of your, like the, off your hairs. And Chris and I were looking at each other like, did you feel that? Did you feel that? And it was genuine between us. <clears throat> and then, one night, I had been out partying and came home, and Chris had been there. Chris was, I knew, when I, I knew when I came home, Chris was going to be there. I don't remember how that was. It had to work late or something like that. Couldn't go out or whatever. So I go in through the patio door and then go to walk into the kitchen. I turn on the kitchen light and the kitchen opening opened up to his bedroom door. And you could see the bedroom bed through that opening, through that door opening. And there was Chris in the dark with his knees to his chin, shaking to the point where he couldn't be controlled. He told me that while I was gone, the doors started slamming all of a sudden. And then an old man came into that room and started chasing him around the house. And he made it back to that bed and he just sat there and cried and closed his eyes. And when he opened up his eyes, that's when I appeared. Now, I was there one night. I had been, uh, I'd been injured at work and I pulled my lower back. I'd like strained a muscle. And so they had given me a number of medications and you're supposed to lay on your stomach and be still for long periods of time and this kind of stuff until your muscles relax, this kind of thing. So I'm, a, I'm at home alone by myself and um, laying on the bed facing, facing toward the feet and of the bed, which would have been facing toward the bedroom, I'm uh, sorry, toward the, the living room. Because my, my bedroom had an opening into the living room and then had an opening into the hallway. And I told you before about this hallway closet, this closet area that you could walk through from the hallway into the, the living room. And it was um, one of the folding doors. I don't I figure what you call those, but uh, the ones with the slats, you know, the long, the thin slats that go all the way up and it, it folds. So 
I'm laying there on the bed and I'm watching as the folding door opens by itself. And then the doors start doing this thing where they slam open, slam open, slam open, slam open, slam open constantly. This goes like five or six times, and then, they, then it's quiet. So I was a little freaked out. But I was in so much pain, and on so much painkillers, I couldn't move. So the only thing I think was say, okay, Red, are you here? Calling to my granduncle. My bedroom door slams, bam, like this. And I'm watching as it opens up and slams again. I moved out a couple weeks later. Chris had already moved out because he couldn't live there anymore because it was too scary. So I eventually moved out. Um, and then it was my parents. It, it, my, my grandmother died about a year after my grand aunt and so the house, by default, went to my father. And uh, so it became my father's property. And after I moved out, um, they sold it. Um, the first owners sold it within a year. Um, and my dad went and asked them, why did you sell the house? And their only response is, you know damn why. How could you sell us a house like that? And they refused to say anything else. So, that was the house that I lived in for a short period of time, about a year and a half of my life. Louisiana, it was, it's just west of Lafayette, Louisiana. Oh, I'm, I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for 18 years. Um, and I live in San Diego, California, where there are no ghosts. <laughs> At least none that I've seen so far. Now, keep in mind, I did not actually see a ghost. I watched things happen in front of me that I cannot explain. But I did not actually see a ghost. Although my father and someone that I love as a brother and trust immensely tells me he saw the same person. Now, I did experience something different one time. Uh, my, I grew up, I was born in Louisiana. I grew up in Los Angeles. When we moved back to Louisiana, it was for what would have been my senior year of high school or junior year of high school became my senior year. That's a long story. I went to college a year early. Um, but during that time period, either probably the beginning of college, um, where my grandmother, on my, my, my maternal grandmother, was still alive, um, she, my grandmother, and my mom, took me to a lady that they had been telling me about for years that they said was able to speak to the dead. Now, I was very, very skeptical of this. I, you know, having grown up in Los Angeles, things like that don't happen there. Until you get to Louisiana and, and things are, comes out. Things are different. <laughs> okay? So, they take me to this house out 
in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. I mean, it actually was somewhere, but to me, it's nowhere. In the middle of the day, it's around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It, everything's still light outside. Uh, the late, it's a house. It's not a business. It's a house, a normal house. The lady's grandchild is watching TV in the living room, and we're in the, in the dining area, which is... There is no separating wall. We can see the TV and watch the kid watch TV. Um, And this is where the seance goes on. And the seance happens at a very large dining room table. Easily seats eight. Might have set ten. I don't know. But easily that large. Big old oak table. Huge piece of furniture. The chairs are all old oak. It's just old furniture. So, the four of us do this seance. And the old lady tells me, she puts her hand on my head, she, she asks me to concentrate on things, and she says, oh, this one has good power whatever that means. It's something to that effect. It may have been good power, but it was something to that effect. The idea, the impression that I got was that whatever it is that she thought I had was a good thing. So um, the way it works is that you put your hands on the table and you, you, you cross your own thumbs and you cross your pinkies with the person next to you. And it has to be a common chain. In other words, you can't have a break in the chain. That's the idea. And except at the corner, the corner, the idea is that the, the power comes through the corner was the idea because we were a small group is what the old lady said. So she, we do this thing and basically what happens is you close your eyes, you're supposed to clear your mind of anything, take all of your other thoughts out and you're concentrating on one thing and everyone's concentrating on one thing. And then she switches to ask that, is there a person in particular that you want to speak to? And my mother had someone she wanted to speak to, my grandmother had someone she wanted to speak to. Now, they had positioned me at the corner, which meant I was sort of the, uh, well, it it was my mother and me, and it was the old lady and then my grandmother at the corners. So I was at the apex of the corner and the old lady was the, at the apex of the corner. You follow? And so we started doing this seance. And the way that you know what the answer is to the question is that the table rocks. So the first time it happened, the first time, the first time they asked a question, nothing happened, and they asked after a couple questions, and nothing happened. And then I took it seriously, and I actually did what they told me to do, which was to clear my head, and just just don't think about it because I didn't know who these people were, so just allow it to happen. And all of a sudden, the damn table picked up. It picked up maybe a quarter of an inch, and then slammed back down again. And that, that apparently was the answer, kind of thing. So I was a little freaked out. It took me a little while. I didn't ask anything. 
I didn't know any of these people. Yeah, they, the people they were trying to contact were people that had been dead that my mother knew and my grandmother knew, but I had no idea who these people were. And my, the old lady knew who these people were too. She, because they had all, but my grandmother and this old lady had grown up in the same town in rural Louisiana. And so they, Mary Alice, yeah. And so they'd known each other all their lives. At that time, my grandmother was probably in her late 70s, early 80s. So, um, anyway, so the first time freaked me out a little bit. And then it didn't work for a while. And then I learned to relax again. And then it started working again. And then it, it would, they would ask a question, and it was not just a, a slow pickup and then drop. It was a boom, boom kind of a thing where it lifted up violently and then slammed it back down. And then at one point, it picked up, I'm guessing, approximating, because I wasn't measuring the thing, had to be two and a half, three feet in the air where my hands were above my shoulders, holding onto the table, as if it was gonna fly through the ceiling. There was nothing under us, but that table corner was completely lifted up. And then I pulled my feet out from underneath it and it's, it fell to the ground. And we left right after that, because even my, even my grandmother was like, I've never seen anything like that before. Kind of thing. And the old lady was like, you have to come back. We have to do this again. There are all kinds of people I want to talk to. Well, I, I never went back. I was not comfortable with that. My, I told my mom, I was like, this is too much for me. Way too much for me. But I will tell you that something happened there that lifted that table that did not, there was no, there were no strings, there were no... It, it just happened, okay? I, 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 I cannot explain it. I don't know the physics of it. I don't know why it happened, but it happened in front of me. I don't like to do the Ouija things, but my mother and I did at a table at home, a little coffee table, a little tiny one, and my mother and I can rock a table. We can lift the table like, it's almost as if it's glued to our fingers wow. as it lifts up on its own. Then we haven't done that for a very long time. Last time we did that was in Louisiana, but we've, we've Louisiana. done it together. It's that weird. We've done it together. She and I did it together. It's that weird. Kind of a thing. Wow. So. I'm sorry? You haven't done it since? No, I haven't done it since. I really don't have any... I mean, no, I mean, you know, listen, I, it, you don't it happened... Well, it, one, I don't, if, if it is that we're inviting evil spirits, if that's what's going on, I don't want that around my home. Yeah. I don't want that in my family. I, don't, I have no interest in opening up that door. Could be. It could be. You know, it could be physics. It could be kinetic energy. Yeah. You know, it only, by the way, the, the, this is the lady explained to us, was that whatever it is, whatever the table is, whatever it is that you're lifting, cannot have any metal in it. Okay, she explained that old old table that they had was 100% wood, like it had been you know it was old, you know it was a, it was an antique. It had been done through tongue and groove, I guess, or right. whatever. Like but there was there was no metal in it at all, and the chairs that we were on had no metal on them, and the floor could not have any metal in it. it had to be a wooden floor, 
not a synthetic floor. It had to be a wooden floor. And if all of those things were true and everyone concentrated together and you were of that type of person, whatever that means, you would be able to do it. I, I don't know. So. Are you interested in being open again? You mean like doing that again? Uh, maybe. I don't, like I said, I, won't, I don't want to do it in my home though. You want me to do it in your home, maybe. Maybe in the next few weeks at my parents' house at their party. Yeah, we're going to their house for a party. Is it have wooden floors? Yeah, we're going to have wooden floors. Yeah, it does. It have wooden floors. It does. does it have all wood chairs and all it wood does. tables? I'll be happy to try. What do you think about that, Steve? I don't know. It's a little bit heavy for a kid's birthday party. But at the end of the night... Okay, I'm just telling you, I'm just tell, you know, that I would not I do it in my own home. Like, I've only had one experience where I think, and with Trevor, because yeah. Trevor's... Wait, should we be recording this? That's fine. Using personal names now, so... Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. All right. I well, I hope, I hope it recorded for you, Steve. Well, don't you remember ever being at slumber parties where you do thick as a board, light as a feather? Do you remember doing that at mm -hmm. slumber parties? What? It never yeah. worked for Oh, yeah, it would always work. Like, okay, you tell a story yeah. and you die, and then you go, this, you lift him up, you go, thick as a board, lies a feather. And yeah. then. I did it many times, it never worked for Really? So you put two oh. fingers under each right. and everybody, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you, if you said, thick as a board, lies a feather, and lies a feather, and you'd like lift him up. Right. And you would lift them up a good one or two inches off the ground. Oh yeah. And then you would, I, and they would fall because everybody would like freak out. And then they would I fall. remember vividly <laughs> being at a party with my parents when I was a child, a party in so Los we got Angeles. Into that. Or were you going in the seventies? Yeah, this of, actually works. You close the door and it's totally dark and you stare in the mirror and you look at a mirror and you go, helmet. Bloody mirror, bloody mirror, bloody mirror. Oh, that's psycho. That's psycho. No, I'm telling you. Yeah. I saw. Oh, wait, okay. Really? And it was probably well, my imagination. It is that that is your imagination, but because you build yourself into right. that right. moment or whatever. My with Trevor, really breastfeeding, and my and well, he told it. I think right. Yeah. He popped off breastfeeding and talked to my dead grandpa. Right. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's kind of my experience. So. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to try it here. Yeah. I'll try it at your parents' house. That's no problem. Yeah, sure. Sure. But, I mean, like I said, I'm not guaranteeing that anything's going to happen. Okay? But I, I will honestly try. How's that? Oh, yeah? Okay. Do we know his name? No? Okay. Well, I'll tell you, there, there are a couple things... Um, I, I'm not saying that I'm something special because I'm not, but were you with me when I went to that haunted place in Old Town and I asked the guy? Uh, at the, well, that's at the um, house where the, they kill them, the family kills themselves. Right. The Whaley House. The Whaley House. Well, we were right. sitting in the in the um, courtroom. Courtroom, and Which? I and I I told him I see blood right there. He did. I was there, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with him? And, and I asked the guy, I just saw a vision of blood right there, and he said, odd, you should say that, but right above that was where the body was found dead, and the blood did re bleed through that. He did. That and that's the person that's supposed to be haunting the Whaley house. Well, because wasn't 
there's something well I forget the whole story. I'm not really weird. It just weird things happen to me. Yeah, okay. Well, he's Cajun. He's I I don't. Lori was with me. They're weird. I I was not trying to do the anything. It just like, happened, and I saw it, and then so I asked the guy, "Hey," and he, he said, "Did though? I remember that." She was, and, and, and it, it tripped me out. I'm like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't tell you. I don't know. Sure. Sure. See, and I have a very right. my line is this. I'm here and it's there. I, I have where he's more there. I, I'm not. Like I don't feel I'm he's way more than I am. I have one more story. Which is interesting for someone who's super religious to be honest with a ghost story because it's conflicting. Well, once again, I've never seen the ghost. Okay? Right. But I've yeah. I've experienced I've seen things that I can't explain. But you know what? Wait, wait, I have to sell my toys. Oh, wait. Go ahead. My grandfather died, and within, I remember I was standing in the kitchen a year later, right? And I'm standing in the kitchen, I'm doing the dishes, and I looked in the window, and I saw my grandfather. And I swear to God, like, this cold thing came over me. It was weird. And I was like, and there he was, and I was like, and I hadn't thought about him in a while. And it was like within a year or whatever that he had died, and, and then... I saw him staring at me in the in the reflection of the window as I was doing the dishes, and I was like, and I got this feeling of like he's watching over me, like no matter what, like he's watching over me, and it was it was a very calming, cooling kind of. It was weird, and I'll never forget that. And that honestly, that's my only super kind of whatever whatever natural story that I can think of. But it was like within a year or so after he passed away, and I just got this over feeling that like he's watching over me and he's going to make sure I'm okay so anyway all right sorry that's no, okay I didn't mean to take all right. From you, right no no that's okay that's that all right like baby chilling for me. Uh, I got it Just saying. all right um okay <laughs> so uh my office you're gonna see it when you come to visit okay <laughs> I'm in the Spreckles building downtown have you ever been in the Spreckles building Not do you know what I'm talking about <laughs> Okay, so I'm at the corner of First and Broadway. The Spreckles building is, uh, I think, the second oldest building in San Diego. It was built, yes. I, I, yeah, because uh, Spreckles it was, built, was from San Francisco, and he was... The sugar he, guy. He came in to San Diego. San Diego was wooden cowboy town. Exactly. And he brought in a more he, sophisticated architecture and buildings and permanent buildings that are still there. And the, right. and the theater building... The building that I'm in right. was was the center of San Diego for a little while, in that that was the main main offices, and and the theater. It was built there. It was where you, where you would go to see both live performances and eventually, when they had moving theaters late moving pictures later. So, um, and I'm at the corner of First and Broadway. You can imagine that that's where most cities start at First and Broadway. So my building is is over two hundred years old, um, or no, I'm sorry, it's over hundred years old, not two hundred years. 100 it's hundred years old. It just turned hundred like ten years ago, or something like that, or five years ago. It's a landmark. It's yeah, it's it's landmark. part of yeah, it's it's part of the National Registry of Buildings. It yeah, can never be turned down by the. 
hand of man has to be torn by the hand of God. So anyway, so um, when we moved into the building, um, I'm on the fifth floor. My office is on the fifth floor. And when we moved into the building, no one rented on the fourth floor. And we didn't ask because the deal was it was a good deal. And I have, my, have, my office has an ocean view. So we weren't going to mess with that. So um, anyway, so the first week or so that I'm there in the building, I get into the elevator. I'm by myself. And I go to push the buttons. And there's, five, there's six floors. So there's six floors and then the basement B. Um, all the lights went on all at one time. Like as I'm going to reach to touch it, they all go on at one time. I'm in an old building. I assumed that this was just sort of an electrical or old building thing. You know, it's a very old elevator. Everything is brass, that kind of stuff. So I'm in the elevator and it doesn't move. And then they all, then it, it turns off and it turns back on again and it opens up and I'm on the fourth floor. So I walk out onto the fourth floor and there's nobody there. Now my, my business partner at the time is the one that signed the deal. I actually hadn't even seen the building before we started to move in. Is that John? He, John, exactly. He's now retired. But um, so he, he had seen the building. He's the one that made the decision and I say, I trust you, go ahead and do it. So. I really had not explored the building or anything. I only ever knew our office. You get into the building, you go into the lobby, go up to my office, that's what I needed to do. That's, that was the full extent of my exploration of the building. So I'm on the fourth floor and I walk out onto the, into the body, the area, and the door closes behind me. So all of a sudden I get this giant cold chill. Now there's a, there are three elevators. I see you guys behind me, by the way. There are three elevators and I'm in the, the one that's furthest to the south, I guess you could say. Furthest to the left as you're facing them. Um, and so that, I push the button to go, to go down or up or whatever it happened to be and nothing goes on. It refuses to go on so I, I end up walking, I think. Anyway, so um, a few weeks later, I asked the security guard who's been there forever. He's in his 60s. John, you'll meet John. He's a really nice guy. Would you walk in? So he's the black guy behind the counter kind of thing. Uh, security guy. You met John. He's a sweetheart of a person. Anyway, so I asked him, I said, so what's the history of the building? And he says, I said, why, why aren't there any offices on the fourth floor? And... Um, was it John that told me that? It may not have been John. No, I think it was. Anyway, I'm not sure who I heard this from because I used to talk to the, the lady that owned the place. She used to, her office was right above me. Little old lady. She, her dad, her grandfather was Mr. Spreckles. She's in the Spreckles family. Um, the sugar Spreckles? Right. Well, her last name is Horton, though. Oh, which is even more. Amazing. Right. So, uh, yeah, she owns... She's uber rich. Anyway, um, so she either she was telling me or John was one of somebody. Anyway, apparently, 
a woman was murdered in that elevator and her she fell onto the fourth floor and for the longest time they could not rent the fourth floor because every time they would rent it the tenants would leave saying that they things would happen in their office they couldn't explain people would claim that they saw a lady there walking around in the hallways now I have never seen a ghost on the fourth floor. I have, however, been on the fourth floor, besides that one other time, like walking down the stairwell, and it's as if you're walking through a cooler. Like you're walking down the stairwell, you're all sweaty from walking down the stairwell. I'm on the fifth floor, I'm building up a little, whoa, it's nice air and air conditioning. On the fourth floor, you get to the third floor, it's regular temperature. That kind of stuff. There is now one tenant on the fourth floor. I've not asked them whether or not they've seen anything or anything like that. They're renting on the opposite side, though, of the fourth floor. There is no one that rents around the elevator area. I've been there for 15 years. No one, no one has rented there. 